0: You are Locked On Pit, your daily podcast on the Pittsburgh Panthers, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Alright folks, welcome back to another episode of the Locked On Pit Podcast, your daily podcast covering the Pittsburgh Panthers, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team Every day, I'm Nick Fairby, right for Pittsburgh Sports Now. Call games at WPTS Radio and I'm a production assistant at ACC Network. And folks, today we do have a lot to talk about. Again, we will talk about Deslin Alexander returning to Pitt and what that means for Pitt's defensive line and their defense overall. We will continue to talk about that. We will also talk a little about Pitt basketball. Man, they take a brutal loss to Syracuse in the Carrier Dome. What this means, can Nate Santos get into the lineup and more. We'll talk about all that coming up on Locked On Pit. What's going on, folks? Welcome back to the Locked On Pit podcast. As always, thank you for making the Locked On Pit podcast your first listen every day, folks. I always appreciate that. And more importantly, folks, Make sure you give me feedback, all that good stuff. I'm trying to make this show better. Maybe you tell me what you want to talk about. You want to hear about anything that I can do better. I want to know about it. So make sure to let me know. And today's episode of the Locked On Pit Podcast is brought to you by NetSuite. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system to power your growth. So just head to NetSuite.com slash LockedOnNCAA for special end of the year financing on the number one financial system for growing businesses and folks. As I said today, you know, we haven't talked a lot about pit football, but there's plenty to talk about this week. At least there should be, you know, with the ASCA Coaches Convention getting wrapped up here today. um, We we should expect to see uh, offensive coordinator movement. We should expect to see wide receivers coaching. We should start to hear some names come out in terms of legitimate sourced info on that. Right now, it's just been basically a ton of speculation, and I—I I, no one has an idea, I mean, no one, it doesn't matter how plugged in you are to this program, it feels like no one actually knows who it is, and there are names that make sense, but none that jump off the screen at you as saying, wow, that's the guy who's going to be it, because we think we have an idea of what Pat Narduzzi wants, but no one actually has a tangible name yet, but before we go into stuff like that, maybe later in the week, and all that and we could talk preseason polls and we could talk basically all of that and how they finished uh, the season ranked number 13 which is another great accomplishment and we will talk about that tomorrow a little bit. I want to talk a little bit more about Desmond Alexander actually coming back and he announced this on Friday last week and again we had a little bit of a rut so couldn't talk about it and, and yesterday I got a little sick didn't have my voice so didn't want to record an episode last night with Fried vocal cords and Give you guys a terrible episode. So back at it today and we are talking about Deslin Alexander, Deslin Alexander really has a huge impact, I think, on this pit team. And and I think in a few ways you have to wonder how this now changes the season. Because there are a lot of very talented defensive linemen and a lot of them are on the edge. And obviously, you have a real good quartet now there, with Dayon Hayes, John Morgan, Haba, and Deslin. But, and I do say this, but do you want to potentially actually move Alexander inside attack? Well, I think it's an interesting dichotomy because I'll tell you what: you look at Deslin Alexander's tape, and you look at what he actually put out on tape tangibly. Like what is there about Desmond Alexander that says this this and this? Like what he actually put out on tape? I think you actually say this and he's a guy that probably moves inside in the NFL. And what I mean by that is I don't think he's going to be an end. I don't think he's going to be a base. I don't think he's going to be a 7 tech. He'll be a 5 tech, he could be a 3 tech. He could be any of that in the NFL. I don't think he's going to be the a, a end. He's not going to be a base D end. He could be a base D end in a 3-4. But that tackle position would actually be more natural for him if he's trying to increase his NFL draft stock. And Pitt lost Keyshawn Camp, So there is a there is a way here where I think he moves inside the tackle beside Kalaja Kansi. And I'm not going to say, like, Pitt needs a defensive tackle terribly. I mean, they have Evan Danielson. They have Tyler Bentley. They have David Green. They have a ton of young guys there like Elliott Donald. DeAndre the Jules, they have a ton of really talented players at defensive tackle, but it actually makes sense to me, because I think they also like a lot of the edges, and we saw Bambrino really flash in the Peach Bowl, and they obviously have Nakai Johnson, they have so many talented players, There Naquan Brown, I mean that's just the tip of the iceberg, there are so many players on the edge depth chart for Pitt that stand out and jump out at you as really quality players. And this just solidifies the defensive line a little more. And, and as I talked about before, there's no more important position in the Pat Narduzzi scheme than the defensive line. Because it's all predicated on pass rush. In a scheme that's predicated on stopping the run and saying you were going to beat us on low percentage throws, you absolutely have to be able to get after the quarterback. Because, listen... Your corners are on an island. You play essentially cover zero off a four-man rush a lot. And then every now and then you'll send your linebackers to help out and fill in there. But it's not often. So Pitt needs a quality defensive line. This is why they continue to bump up Charlie Partridge's pay in order to keep him. It's worth it. That's why. And he's a great defensive line coach. He's a great recruiter in Florida. He develops these guys. Not only is he a great recruiter, he's a great developer of talent. Every dude that comes through those doors ends up better. And Rashad Weaver and Patrick Jones are two examples of that. Jalen Twyman, look at Kalaja Kansi. Look at all those guys. Look at Hobbes' development. Look at John Morgan grow into a legit pass rusher. Look at Deslin himself. And Deslin Alexander's a very weird fit in kind of that base-end role because He's so thick, and he's a little bit too big, almost, to play Ed. And they put him there because it felt like they didn't have another guy there that they trusted. And I got that. So you had Keyshawn Camp, Devin Davis, and Tyler Bentley, David Green, not see all those guys. And you were like, okay, we trust these guys. And you even had DeAndre Jules down there. And those are guys that have got legit play time, like legit tread. So you felt really comfortable about the tackle spot. And while Desmond Zander played there in 2020, it was really good there. You also felt that you needed him at end because it was really just Habba coming into the year. And you had lost Jones and Weaver, and you felt very vulnerable there. And again, as important as this defensive line is to this game, you have to get pressure. Otherwise, quarterbacks kind of sit back. Your guys are going to be left on islands, and they are going to be picked apart. No matter how good your corners are, they can't cover for all the time. And so you have to have a pass rush here. And Pat Narduzzi had a pass rush there. Second in the nation in sacks. They're always at the top of the league because they are so good on the defensive line up front. And Dale Alexander allows that to occur still. He's a leader as well. He's a captain coming back. He'll bring leadership on this Vet D line already. He's another voice there to calm the storms, to weather the storm. He's got everything going for him. Everything. And... The question is just where does he fit? And I think he's a very interesting case study, you know, whether he's going to play inside or whether he's going to play outside because I think now they have answers on the outside. And they have answers on the inside, but they're able to move Dez around to where they can say, okay, let's put Dez Alexander in the best place possible to where he can succeed and help us out. And I think that actually might be a defensive tackle because he could bring more pass rush juice. Than someone like a Devin Danielson, Tyler Bentley, or David Green. These three are great run stoppers, but you feel like you are losing a little bit of pass rush juice with them. And, and that's not a knock to them. They're very solid players. And I think, honestly, a few of them might eventually have futures in the NFL as just pure run stoppers and I think Bentley when you look at Bentley actually I think he's a guy that has pass rush upside he just has to realize it maybe he will this coming year he does have the athletic tools and the length to be very potent as a pass rusher but Alexander gives you it all a great run defender highly reliable as a pass rusher with great moves he's a vet presence that has worked inside and he can give you another piece there and you feel like you can trust with Deion Hayes breaking out, with John Morgan playing at a high level, with Haba playing at such a high level, with Bambrina Brina showing out, with another year of Nakai Johnson, with another year of Naquan Brown, with all these other guys that I'm not even mentioning that might step up. You feel like you are good there at end. You don't feel like there's as many question marks there. At tackle, there might not be as many question marks, but if you can get a little bit more pressure from the interior and also help Desmond Alexander get better at his NFL position, I think it's a win-win, but it makes the defensive line better, and for Pat Narduzzi's scheme, it's so important, and and I think there's a debate there, with Desmond Alexander, that they'll have to figure out, they might talk it over with him, they might have already talked it over with him, before he decided to return, I don't know what they did, but again, I think he projects as an interior guy in the NFL, so I wonder if they kind of move him there, and overall, they do need some help there, I think in the past, rush department on the interior of the line, aside from Kansi, so I think it makes sense, to make move Des Alexander inside and with, I think, little question on the outside with guys showcasing that they can really do it. I think I didn't even mention Nate Temple as well, another guy on the end they think is Flash. So I think there's plenty of talent there and plenty of options for them to go after. All right, folks, let's talk a little bit about Pitt men's basketball. They lose to Syracuse, but first I want to let you know about Bill Bar. Folks, do you want a protein bar that tastes incredible? Well, I got you. Built Bar. Listen, it's not waxy, it's not chewy, you don't have to choke it down, it's it's actually good. It's covered in 100% real chocolate, it's fluffy, it's marshmallowy, it's exactly what you want, but listen, you also get all the health benefits of an actual protein bar. That's right. So you get the taste factor while also getting the health benefits. It's low in sugar, low in carbs, low in calories, and high in protein, and that, folks, is exactly what you want out of your protein bars. And listen up, they have a special limited time offer on their site every time they put out multiple new flavors and they have their usuals, you know, raspberry, cherry, barcia, all these different types. They have a ton of normal types, but they also put up new flavors every time day so make sure to check out built.com to check those out listen folks here's the offer head to built.com and use the promo code locked 15 to get 15% off again that's the promo code lock 15 to get 15% off all you have to do is go to built.com and use lock 15 to get 15% off at builtbar.com hey pit fans this is nick fair with an incredible app everyone who buys gas needs to know about it's get upside my listeners are making up to 25 cents for every gallon of gas Every time they fill up, just download the free Get Upside app in the App Store or Google Play right now. Use the promo code SCORE and get a bonus 25 cents per gallon on your first fill-up. That's up to 50 cents cash back. Don't pay full price at the pump anymore. Get cash back using Get Upside. Just download the app for free and use the promo code SCORE to get up to 50 cents a gallon cash back on your first tank some people who drive a lot are making as much as two to three hundred dollars a month in cash back and there's no catch the cash back gets added right to your account so you can cash out anytime to your bank account paypal or any gift card for amazon and other brands just download the free get upside app and use the promo code score to get up to 50 cents a gallon cash back on your first tank that's code score Hey folks, welcome back to the Locked On Pit podcast. And let's get into it a little bit. Let's talk about Pitman's basketball because there is things to talk about. Of course, we need we do need to talk about Marlon Barnes Jr., but we'll have George Michaelowski on later this week. I want to talk about that with him more so than independently. And I think that this game against Syracuse was an absolute beatdown. And in Pitt the the worst of Pitt came out again. This was this looked like old Pitt. This looked like a game they would have played say against the UNBC, against the Citadel. Everything that we thought kind of happened. It did happen. And they were a they were a bad matchup for Pitt. Right from the start. Right from the start this team was not a good matchup for Pitt. The 2-3 zone was bad. Pitt had to shoot. In the first half they did shoot well. They shot well enough. To the point where Syracuse. Did not pull away. And that was the big thing. Pitt shot nearly 50% from beyond the arc. Pitt shot well. And, and overall. When you do that against Syracuse. You can keep it close. And Syracuse didn't do anything crazy either. They did nothing crazy. But. But. Shooting 2 of 10 from beyond the arc in the second half. It's not going to cut it. Even if Syracuse is shooting 1 of 7 from beyond the arc. It's 24 free throws in the second half. For Syracuse, also really contributed to that. But pitch shooting in the second half was just dismal. And really, that's the biggest thing here. Is that... I mean, you... It's the biggest stat. Straight up. The biggest stat. 7 turnovers sucks. But Syracuse only got nine points off those turnovers. Pitt got eight off their five. That's not a crazy different thing. The difference is this. Pitt shot five of 12 from three-point land in the first half. 13 of 26 from the field in the first half. It was 35-34 going into halftime. They shot five of 21. Five of 21 from the field. In the second half, that's straight up just what it is. And listen, they got they shot fifteen to twenty from the charity stripe in the second half, and so they were productive at the free throw line. They just straight up could not get anything going outside of anything. Uh, decided to get into the line. They got nothing going. They couldn't figure out how to break the. They couldn't work through the high post. They couldn't get easy shots from three. And when they did, they didn't make them. I mean, listen, Santos was the only one to make two, three pointers. Oducalli, 0 of 4 from the field. Hughley, 0 of 2 from the field. Jeffress, 0 of 3. 0 of 2 from downtown. Gee, 0 of 1 of 4. Burton, 1 of 3. It was bad. No one shot well in the second half, and that's exactly what you saw from Pitt. The defense broke down and collapsed. Allowed too many easy transitional buckets. Allowed too many easy drives to the hoop. This was not good. And the difference was you looked at the points in the paint. It was it was bad. Jimmy Bayheim and Buddy Bayheim were killing them. They were killing them. Driving easily. Putting in easy lay-ins. Pitts defense really fell apart from the penetration standpoint. They didn't have it seemed like they didn't have the quickness to match Syracuse. And that's the biggest thing here. And straight up, I, I think that, honestly, I it really felt like Pitt was just outmatched in this game. They, they And it felt like overall the defense fell apart. They weren't staying square. They were allowing guys to get to their near hip with their handles. It's not like Syracuse did anything crazy. They played good defense, made Pitt make tough shots, and Pitt didn't make those tough shots. And that's literally the reason here. Pitt's defense fell apart. The interior defense really fell apart here. And that was the big thing as well. Pitt could never get anything going from that standpoint. The passing wasn't up to par. There there was little to no spacing. But the fact that their interior defense was so bad, there were little contested shots, and if they were, they were fouls. Pitt committed a ton of fouls in this half, 15 of them, to be specific. And they made a lot, of, a few dumb plays of fading away three foul in the first half. The defense was a culprit today as well. But the fact is, if Pitt's not going to play good defense, it's going to be a long season. A very long season. And I get they got the one win in conference. But... If you want to win more, you have to play defense. Pitt straight up has to play better defense because we know they can't shoot. And they proved it again tonight that they cannot shoot. They cannot shoot the basketball. Shooting 38% from the field, I don't care who you are. You shoot 38% from the field while the other team shoots 51% from the field, it's going to be a tough game to win. Pitt just does not shoot well. They could not break the zone that Syracuse was running. It was bad for Pitt. It was very bad for Pitt. And nothing really felt cohesive. It felt like a game where they were helpless. And the matchup is really bad for Pitt. And I understand it. Syracuse is going to be one of their worst matchups all year. And and if they had Ithio Horton, uh, this would be a different game. And a much different game. They need a three-point shoot. If they had Ithio Horton and Nike Sabande. I this is a game... That would be a completely different game. But with the guys they had right now, it sounded more like a gun range than a basketball court. And that's what I'm going to say. This team just cannot shoot. It's going to be their fatal flaw. The fact that they have no three-point shooting ability to spread the floor out, to keep pace, you know, you're going to have bad defensive nights. And, and I think that's something that Pitt is going to see down the stretch, and they're going to see through, is that you're going to have bad defensive nights. Unless you are a team like Prime Virginia was or something like that, you are going to have nights where your defense isn't up to par, especially with talent like this. But you don't have the mode of offense to keep up on those bad nights. This was one of those bad nights. It was really their first bad defensive night in a really long time. They don't have the offensive firepower to keep up on those bad days. And that's the point here is that Pitt doesn't have the shooters to space out. Pitt doesn't have the shooters to keep up when their defense isn't up to snuff. Pitt doesn't have the three-point capability, and because they don't have that three-point capability, all they have to do is pack the paint. It makes it harder for John Hughley. It certainly did today, and they're going to take bad shots. They're going to take low-percentage shots, trying to force something, trying to get a spark going. When it doesn't go, things can get out of hand for them. They start to play sloppy. They start to get unfocused, and that's exactly what happened to Jeff Capel's team tonight at the Carrier Dome in Syracuse. However, we have a discussion to be had. What about Nate Santos? Can he break into the lineup here? He showcased some things tonight. We'll talk about that. But first, let me let you know about NetSuite. This is it. The putt to win the tournament. If you sink it, the championship is yours. But on your backswing, your hat falls over your eyes. Is this how you're running your business? Poor visibility because you're still relying on spreadsheets and outdated finance software. To see the full picture, you need to upgrade to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system to power your growth. With visibility and control of your financials, inventory, HR, planning, and budgeting, and more, NetSuite is everything you need to grow all in one place. With NetSuite, you can automate your processes and close your books in no time while staying well ahead of the competition. 93% of surveyed businesses increased their visibility and control after upgrading to NetSuite. So here it is, folks. Over 28,000 businesses already use NetSuite for the new year, NetSuite has a new financing program for those ready to upgrade to NetSuite at netsuite.com slash locked. Again, head to netsuite.com slash locked for this special one-of-a-kind financing offer in the number one financial system for growing businesses. That's netsuite.com slash locked. All right, folks, welcome back to the Locked On Pit Podcast, here to discuss maybe a, a thing that I, I've heard lots of people ask about. Why does Nate Santos not get more playing time? Like, what happened to that dude? With Horton out, who's actually the other shooter you have? You know, this is what, when they got Santos to come on as the lone recruit in the class of 2021, the big thing that was built about him, sweet stroke, great shooter, great shooter, Everything like that was was the big thing about Santos. Now, he actually hasn't been a great shooter this year. I mean, he really hasn't. And so, his reputation that preceded him has so far not matriculated up into the ACC level. It has not matriculated up to the college level just yet. And he's had a few games where he's done really well. Towson, he was 4 of 8. In this game against Syracuse, he was 2-3, but he's a 28% three-point shooter on the year. So let's put that into perspective. He's not a good three-point shooter yet. Maybe he will be, but he hasn't proven that quite yet. And so, Nate Santos hasn't played a lot. This was actually his first ACC action since he played against Virginia. And he, hadn't, he didn't play at all against Boston College. He didn't play at all really after that Jacksonville game. And so, he didn't play against Notre Dame, he didn't play against Louisville. And so, what? what's the deal with him? Why is he falling out of favor? And I think there's a few reasons why. One, I, I think he just looks overwhelmed out there defensively. And what I mean by that is, he's not as good of a defender as Will Jeffers, and he's not as good of a defender as Odeyze Kudo is. So, when you actually have those guys that are plus defenders out there, but might turn the ball over, might be... A net negative offensively still, you also notice that they bring the same things, a lot of the same weaknesses, where, you know, Santos has that capability, but he hasn't showcased it yet, but those guys have a reputation that they are not offensive players at all. But here's the thing. Santos is talked up to be this, like, great offensive player, but he hasn't proven any of that yet, as I said, and that's very important to note, because until he does... We have to throw them in the same basket, and the way to compare it is, what it's guys that are uncomfortable with the ball in their hands, specifically Will Jefferson, who doesn't feel like he's comfortable with the ball in his hands at all, and so when you take that into consideration, Nate Santos touches the ball, and he essentially turns it over right away. I mean, it's bad at times the turnover rate he has. So he comes in, he had he had a really bad turnover right coming into the game. Santos is a guy that really looks a little bit lost when he plays with the ball in his hands. He's also not great defensively. And so, I think he's a he's a really tough ass because he's got to learn the rotations well. He's got to learn how how to take care of the ball in his hands, but he has the shot and he put together I get he only played 9 minutes in really mop-up duty. But he made two threes, he had three rebounds, also had two turnovers in that time. But maybe you work through this with him, and you just you take the ability. Maybe he has that more offensive juice than a guy like Jeffers, and you take it. And then you take what Isaiah Kudo gives you, and you take what Collier gives you, but you go with what Santos brings. Because Santos, at the very least, has the ability here. To do something. And Nate Santos is a guy that might need more run. And and I think that is becoming very clear. Is that it is, it is garbage time stats that he put up. But he has the stroke. He has the three-point capability. And you can work through things with young guys, too. It's better off maybe getting this guy a little bit more experience. Letting him feel the gauntlet of the... ACC if you will and feeling out what he can do because honestly what like what are they doing right now with the guys they have against a team like this if a team goes and sh- starts shooting the ball unbelievably well and the game's starting to get it, get away from you you need your your best shooters on the floor and Nate's a good shooter like you can tell that the stroke is just natural like it's going to come there are guys that just have the, the right shooting form. And the three-pointers will come eventually. Maybe they won't come your freshman year, but they'll come eventually. And if you like with the more time he would get, the better it would come. Because he's got that sweet touch. And he's got that stroke that just looks so natural. I think he's a good player. And maybe, you know, Jeff Capel said he just has to show more in practice. And so, on a day-to-day basis, maybe he just has to show more. So... He's got to show more, it seems like, and practice and overall. But I think it's a worthwhile exponential here. if it, Maybe not playing him when you're in defensive battles. I don't think you necessarily need to do that because, again, defensive battles, when the defense is playing well, just keep going with it and you can grind out and ax out those points. But when you get into a game like this where Syracuse is maybe starting to pull away and you need to jolt offensively, I think Nate Santos might be your best option. So that's that's something to talk about when you're talking about a rotation Maybe he can be your little spice of offense when you need it, even though he's probably overwhelmed at where he's at and maybe he shouldn't be playing yet. Maybe he's, I think he's more of a next year player where he could step in and do some things. But But Santos is a guy I think that could potentially step in and give you a little bit of jolt offensively. All right, folks, thanks for listening. As always, tomorrow we will have George Michalowski of Pittsburgh Sports now on to talk Pitt basketball, talk Marlon Barnes Jr., the state of the team overall, and where Pitt might go in 2022 with recruiting. So he'll be on here. It'll be fun as usual. Folks, as always, thanks for listening. And as always, hail to Pitt.